Well, last week we started a new series called Viral. Uh, viral, when something goes viral, it just simply means it's a video, it's a picture, it's information that quickly spreads from one person to another. Uh, this could be something that's interesting or funny. Uh, it could be a sad story that has a great ending. There's no requirements for something to go viral. Uh, as we're doing this, I showed you uh, David after the dentist last week. This may be one of my favorite viral videos, and so watch this one. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen that. Almost a billion people have seen that video, right? It's unbelievable. Someone shoots a video, they post it, and then quickly it spreads. And, and this video really makes this movement around where so many people see it. On a small scale, person A experiences something, and so they share it with the next person, person B. Person B is impacted or uh, for some reason is moved to then share it as well to person C, D, and E who then also share it. And almost a billion views later, uh, almost everyone knows the, the Charlie bit me. What's really interesting, and, and I wish I, I could have found one to, to show that was really appropriate, and, and there are, but uh, people have taken this and remade it. Uh, they've auto-tuned it to where it's now a song. They have recreated it with themselves. But when this happens, the message changes. It, it doesn't quite have the meaning that it originally had because somehow it had got manipulated or changed and it had lost the importance or what they were trying to get across in the beginning. Today, as we look at the good news, the gospel, several months ago, we spent a long time looking at what the gospel is. Uh, this good news that we were separated from God because of sin, because of disobedience, because of rebellion. But in the midst of that, God has made a way for us to be in right standing with him. And it's through Jesus, through his life, he points to who the Father is, and he goes to the cross, and he gives his life uh, to defeat death and sin. And through that, we can experience life to the fullest. That is good news. At some point, a lot of you experienced that. You believed that for the first time, and it changed your life, hopefully. Some of you in here today maybe haven't. Uh, maybe that idea is new to you, the idea that we could be reconnected to the God of the universe who has created all things, and that that God deeply loves us, and that there could be a way for us to come back to God. That is good news, and maybe that's good news for the first time for you today. But in the very beginning of the early church, as the disciples find these things out, the thought is once you experience that good news, you would then share it with other people, that it wasn't for yourself alone. Just a quick quiz. You don't have to obviously write this down or, or, or share with anybody. I just want you to go through a couple of questions in your, in your mind, specifically if you're a follower of, of Jesus. Uh, and some of you won't know this because you were born and literally put into a nursery and so you won't even be able to remember this, but, but do you remember the first person who invited you to church? Do you remember your first encounter with the church? When did you hear about the good news? What age was it? And then most importantly, when did you become a follower of Jesus? When did you give your life to follow him? When did you learn about grace and mercy and love, the love of God for the first time? And then how did it impact you? If we go back to that first one, almost all of you, and I know some of your stories, uh, you have some more um, 
unusual ways that you've come to know who God is. But for the most of us, someone invited us. Someone shared with us who God was. And it was in that sharing that our lives were changed. This is what happened from the very beginning. When Jesus told his disciples, look, you need to go. I'm sending you so that other people would know who, you, who I am. We talked about this last week, that this message about Jesus, the message of this good news, became a movement very quickly after Jesus returns to heaven. Before he returns, he tells his disciples this in Acts 1, 8. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible around you somewhere. Uh, that's our gift to you. You can have that. Uh, the page number will be for that Bible. Acts 1, 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was almost as if Jesus was saying, this is about to go viral. That this message is going to become a movement very quickly. And we see that in Acts. If you were to go and read Acts, uh, we see that the message is preached, that they share the good news. And then it says that thousands of people, thousands of people would join the church. It happened through people. And it happened through them displaying the message with their lives, but also with their words. There was no plan B. From the very beginning, it was about people telling people. It was about relationships, and it was about people sharing the hope that they have because of Jesus. And there is still no plan B. The thought is that people will come to know who God is because of the church. Not a service, not by me necessarily standing and preaching, but by us, the church, spreading this message. And I challenge you just to do one thing last week. I just said, would you pray? Right? I encourage you, I set my phone, it went off every morning at 9.38. We looked at Matthew 9.37 and 38 last week. He says, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people who want to hear this message. There are a lot of people who need to hear about hope and peace and joy and grace and mercy. There's a lot of people who are longing to hear it. And Jesus says, look, the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people who are ready, but the workers are few. Those who will display and speak about this are few. And then, this is what we've been praying, and I ask you to pray. It says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. That we begin to pray for the harvest, but we also pray for ourselves, that there be opportunities for us to spread the message. And I challenge you to pray for your heart, for our hearts, and how we see people, that we wouldn't see it as an us versus them. We talked about Paul and how he saw people. And in that it says that Paul saw people as a mother would see her little children. That's often quite different than how we see people who don't know God. It's different than how we often treat people who don't know God. And then Paul says, look, I was just happy to share my life with, it, my life with them. That Paul says that I'm in relationships, that I have friendships with people who have no idea who God is. I'm living my life alongside people who are far from God. And he says he was happy to do that. And so I just have to tell you, as I was praying each morning, 9.38, as it went off, I began to kind of be heartbroken. I was kind of beginning to be heartbroken because I feel at times I don't talk about this. I haven't necessarily challenged us to look at this 
message is something that we need to make sure that we communicate with people. That, that when you're here, I want you to know that message and I want you to know that you're deeply loved and that there is a purpose in this life for you. And, and I challenge us to, to live in such a way in our community where our community is better because we are here. But rarely ever do I talk about the words that you speak to people. That when there is opportunity to share the faith that you have, that we haven't really talked about that. And as I begin to, to deal with that and to, to speak about those things with God, I begin to realize why that was. And I begin to look at even my own heart and my own life. And, and we talked briefly about this last week, but this idea of this fear, right? The fear of communicating what we believe to people. Like, what if we say it wrong? Or what if we mess up? Or, and I said last week, what if they have questions and you think, man, I don't know if I have all the questions. I don't have all the answers to the questions they may ask. So it's maybe just better if I don't. And maybe someone who's smarter does it. I'm just going to live a really good life and maybe people will recognize that I'm different, but, but I'll just point them to someone smarter. And so we have this fear. We don't want to impose ourselves on people or we don't want to come across as judgmental. And then as I started to think about evangelism, this word, this idea of spreading the good news, I begin to think about how guilty we feel when we hear that word. We feel guilty because we're thinking, I don't do it. That maybe for many of us, we're like, I've never done it. I've never shared my faith with someone. I've never talked about what I believe, and maybe that's you. And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, look, guilt is not going to change anything. Guilt won't change you. And so as we talk about this, this is not about us feeling guilty. This is really about us understanding the opportunity that we have. Really the gift that we carry. The gift of understanding the hope and love of God. And, and then I realized it kind of has come um, because I haven't necessarily, and we maybe haven't necessarily paid attention to it. Right? We are no longer, some of you grew up in a church where you opened the doors, the people in the community knew you had a service at a certain time, and people would show up. Right? That's, not, that's not the case anymore. I mean, sometimes that happens, maybe you're here by that, but, but probably someone has invited you or you know someone, and, and that's normally how it works. The idea of people just showing up does not necessarily happen anymore. And because there's been this, on my part, kind of a lack of paying attention to that, I think that has hurt us and I have maybe hurt you. Uh, this last uh, week, my, my dad was in town and uh, he got me the gift of a chainsaw. And uh, if you know me, you might think, I don't know if that was a good idea. And I've shared enough of my stories. Uh, so my dad gives me a chainsaw. Uh, we spent six hours one day just cutting stuff down. It was awesome. Uh, to, to be able to just the, the power. And, and so we're, we're clearing this stuff out and, and I'm just, I'm cutting basically everything that I can. And all of a sudden I feel the chainsaw against me. Uh, not like it's not running against me, like it's still turning and blades are moving against me. And what had happened is I just, in a moment, I just quit paying attention to it. I cut and I allowed the chainsaw to swing back towards my leg. Uh, it, all it did was cut my jeans, uh, cut my jeans. And I had just a couple of little, little spots, but man, it happened. It happened so quick. Uh, and my dad, as my dad was like, you've got to pay attention. <laughs> I still felt like I was a 13 year old kid in that moment of my dad 
wondering what in the world I was doing. But, but look, it was just because I just, I just didn't pay attention to it for a moment. Right? And so I, I think in this series, I, we just need to pay attention to it. Not in a guilty kind of way, just in a, this is important. And the reason it's important is because I believe this message changes our lives. It has changed my life. And if it has changed my life and I experience hope and peace and joy, well, then why would I want why wouldn't I want other people to know about it and to experience it, right? And we've seen it done poorly. Uh, we, we've seen it uh, not happen really well. And so I think that's one of the reasons we're hesitant to do it. But then I think one of the reasons we're hesitant is because I think we've bought into this idea that people aren't interested. That people aren't interested in the, the message of the scriptures anymore. That people aren't interested in knowing about the God who created them, but but statistically, that's not true. Like people do not always have a great uh, feeling towards Christians for lots of different reasons. Just as a general statement, maybe people don't have a great feeling when they think about Christians, but statistically, their feeling towards people that they know are Christians is totally different. Individuals who follow Jesus, they have uh, a, a much more uh, likely chance of wanting to hear it. And this is statistics. This isn't just a thought. So 13,000 unchurched people uh, were, were interviewed and surveyed, and 79% of those asked if they would be open to a spiritual conversation from their Christian friends said they would. 79% said, yeah, if my friend wanted to talk about faith and what they believed, I'd be open to a conversation. And in the same type of research, in about the same amount of people, only 39% of people who were churched and called themselves Christians said they would have that conversation or that they've had that conversation. So there's a 40% gap between those people who are saying, look, I'm open. I'm open to hearing about your faith. 40% gap in those who have shared. And so the idea that people aren't interested isn't necessarily true. But again, we've seen it done poorly. We've seen people be hurt by it. And so, as I shared earlier, the message maybe isn't the same as it once was. Like, the message has been changed a little bit. And here's what I would say, is it's not necessarily the words have been changed, but I think it's been the delivery. I think it's how we talk about what we believe that maybe has pushed people away. I think we've forgotten how important people are that are far from God. I think we have forgotten what the heart of God looks like towards those people who are lost and have not experienced hope. I think if we can recapture that, I think if we can believe once again that people really want to hear about Jesus, then something will happen. We'll lose kind of our apathy towards it and being apathetic. We will do all we can to help people experience the love of God. If you know the scriptures, there's a story in Luke 15 uh, where Jesus begins to talk about how God sees things that are lost. Uh, a lost uh, coin in a woman's house, she says that she is willing, Jesus says that she is willing to turn over everything to find the coin. The one coin is worth everything to her. Or, or the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one goes away. Just one. I mean, we would think, you still have 99. Are you really going to sacrifice the 99 to go after the one? And Jesus says that the shepherd will do everything he needs to 
to go and find the lost sheep. And when he finds it, he will throw it over his shoulders and he will bring it back. And then maybe one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is the son who says to his father, give me everything that is mine. He takes it and he leaves and he squanders it. And the story says that the father is waiting on the porch. Like we, we know he's waiting the day the boy comes back, but my thought is the father is waiting every day. And the father sees the boy returning. The boy has this story about where he's been and how sorry he is and he's come to his senses. And, and yet as the father sees the boy at a distance, he leaves the porch and he runs to the son. And he embraces the son. And he doesn't allow the son to give his excuses. He's just glad that his son has returned. And then the father throws a party. There's something about our God who has created us, who longs for us to come home. The heart of God cares deeply for those who are lost. Who are lost. And now, not lost in the sense as we often maybe see people as clueless or confused or anti-God or even spiritually dumb. But lost in this context means something that was treasured. Treasured. Something worth looking for. It had just been misplaced. And so I think here in the very beginning as we think about this message and how we see people, we have to understand the heart of God towards those who have yet to know about his grace and his love. And so this morning, just in the next few moments, what I want us to look at is how much it matters in how we say what we believe. It's not just what we say, it's not just about our own experiences, but it's how we say it. How we say things matter. Uh, just the last couple of days, my, my family met my mom and my sister and my nephew in uh, Branson, a uh, great city of Branson. And so we went down and we spent a few days there and um, it was in a timeshare that we stayed. And I knew that going into it because you can get good deals at timeshares. And as Heather and I are driving to Branson, I look at Heather and I say, we are not doing a timeshare tour, all right? It does not matter, we will not do a timeshare tour. And we go and we check in and the lady at the desk says, would you be interested in doing a timeshare tour? Uh, you'll get $100 and free breakfast. And I said, sure, where do we sign up? Uh, it's free breakfast and $100 and so, uh, Heather and I and my kids and my sister and my mom and my nephew, we all enjoy free breakfast the next morning. And as my wife and I are going over, I'm like, we are not buying a timeshare. Just, it's easy. We say, no, we are not buying a timeshare. And we sit down and then Larry sits down. And Larry was one of the most kind people I've ever met. Found out I was a pastor and he talked about his experience in the church and the ministry. His son had started in Memphis and his uh, wife and her role in the church. And we had this immediate connection. And he was so kind to my wife. And he talked about how much he loved his wife. And man, I liked Larry, right? I really liked Larry. And so Larry begins to share about why we need a timeshare, right? She lays out the statistics. If you've done this, you know how it works, right? He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in a great way. There's not going to be any pressure. Uh, I, I just want to let you know, if you vacation already, you need to be owning a timeshare. And, and I'm thinking, I need to own a timeshare, right? And so <laughs> we, we go on the timeshare tour, and Larry opens the door to look into the condo, and there is a lady in there cooking cookies, right? We walk in, and we smell cookies, right? And she offers us cooking. I'm like, Larry, this is not fair. You cannot be doing this. And so we get back in the car and we go back in. And at that point is where he makes the pitch, right? And, and just to let you know, I didn't buy a timeshare, okay? 
Did I hear an awe? Yeah, I heard an awe, yeah. Thank you, thank you, yes, yes. I held strong, but I promise, I promise, man, the way he delivered it, it wasn't just what he was saying, man, everything was perfect. Everything they did was on purpose, right? Everything was on purpose. So it wasn't just how he, what he was telling us, but it was how he said it. And to be honest, at the end, there was no pressure. It didn't even sound like a sales pitch in the end. Uh, we, we tell him we can't do it. He, he said, great. He asked about how life uh, was going to look moving forward and ministry, said he had already prayed for us. Like there was just something different about it. It was something different about Larry. And I had done that many times and it had never felt that way. And I think it came down to how he presented it to us. And so I think just here in the, in the last few moments, uh, I want to look at just one thing again today. Uh, I want to look at this idea of our posture when we begin to speak about Jesus. As we begin to share what we believe and how much our posture matters. Posture means the position in which someone holds their body when they're standing or sitting. But more importantly, it's a particular way of dealing with or considering something. It's an approach. It's an attitude. We covered last week uh, that as we begin to pray that God would help us see people as we see them. But I also think we need to pray about how we begin to share the message. Right? I don't want to tell you you need to go share the message because I really think for some of us, uh, how we share it maybe needs to change or we just need to be encouraged. First Peter 3, 15, 16, uh, Peter says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for hope, the hope that you have. Just real quickly, uh, I, we probably need to spend a little more time on this. Um, but there is this expectation that because of the way we live our lives and the way we treat people, that there will be those who want to know why. Like Peter just had this expectation that there's going to be people who are going to ask why you have hope. Why, why in the midst of the difficult things you're going through, you have peace. Why do you have that? And so I think if maybe people aren't recognizing it and people aren't asking us, we have to first pay attention to that. And not that our lives have to be perfect, but I think when the gospel gets into our hearts and our minds and our souls, it works itself out in our lives. We just look different. We should. We should treat people different. We should love differently. And he says you should just always be prepared because people are going to ask. But then there's this but. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. When you give your answer, do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That you're always going to have this clear conscience of how you speak about God, of how you treat people who are far from God, who don't believe like you believe and don't behave like you behave and they live this different life than you would want them to live or how you think they should live, that you can always have a clear conscience of how you have displayed and talked about Jesus so that even when they want to speak maliciously against you, that they would actually feel ashamed because of their slander and how they see your life. And so as we think about being prepared to give this answer, and we'll give close attention to that next week, there's something else Paul or Peter says that you got to pay attention to. And you have to do this with gentleness and respect. This is the posture we must take as we share the good news. 
It must always be done with gentleness and respect. Not that we're weak. Gentleness doesn't mean that you're weak in what you believe, but really it's this strength under control. And that it creates this humility in us. That as we talk about what we believe, as we talk about the gospel, we are humble. That we're not afraid to say, I don't know. That we're not afraid to share what we once believed or what's, what our lives look like. That we had to meet someone who would come alongside of us to help us believe. This comes with humility. And we can, in humility, share about our own brokenness and our need for God. That is something we do with gentleness and respect. This is a chance to communicate in a way that helps people understand the beauty and the hope and the truth of the gospel. Someone is more likely to want to listen to you if you share with gentleness and respect. If we take a posture of being harsh or attacking, they will immediately feel like they need to become defensive. I believe that if this message is going to continue to go viral, if we are going to play a part in this message becoming a movement, it will always come by building bridges, not walls. Always building bridges, always building relationships, always getting to know the other person. It is through friendships, almost always it is through friendships where we are able to share the gospel. We will have a better opportunity if we build bridges and not walls. So Peter says we share this with gentleness and respect. And I think when we do this, when we fail to do this, when we're not gentle with one another, when we're not respectful of other people, I think we fail to see someone as someone who is created in the image of God. That we don't see them as someone who is deeply loved by God. If we don't see them as someone we respect or someone we're not gentle with, it's just someone that we want to win an argument with. With instead, instead of just wanting to share what we believe. So gentleness and respect means that we aren't just going to proclaim the good news that we're going to talk about next week, that we're not just going to share what we believe, but we're willing to display the good news. Uh, the poet Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you are saying. Your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you are saying. I think Peter is saying the way we are gentle and respectful with people is how we will treat people, how we'll love people, how we'll be kind to people, how we will really care about the needs of people. And in doing that, we will have an opportunity to share the gospel. And we see this with Jesus. Like the things that we read Paul talk about and the things that we read Peter talk about, they talk about those things because they saw it in Jesus. Uh, we see this very clearly in an interaction that Jesus has with a woman in John 8. We see that Jesus didn't see himself as the enemy or judge of this woman, but as her protector and advocate. In John 8, we see a woman who is caught in the middle of adultery. And it's in being caught that they bring this woman to Jesus and, and the hope is that Jesus is going to be stuck in a difficult place. Does Jesus condemn her and have her stoned for her actions? Or will he give her grace and forgiveness and be weak in his actions towards her? 
says in verse uh, 6 in John 8. It says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. As I read this, I've always been drawn to the idea of Jesus writing in the dirt. Uh, if you've heard this, there's lots of theologians that, that believe they know what Jesus was maybe writing. But I read something this week that, that really changed my perspective. And the person who wrote it said that he thought it had little to do what Jesus was writing and the position that he took. That if you can imagine this woman who is caught in the middle of this act and is dragged out into the front of everyone, uh, maybe she's just half-dressed. Uh, I can only imagine that she's embarrassed and that she's ashamed. That there's probably tears flowing down her face, that she is protecting her head, and I imagine her kind of in this ball on the ground. And instead of Jesus towering over her, he bends down. Jesus literally puts himself on her level. He doesn't stay above her as an enemy or as a judge, pointing out how wrong she is. But he gets near to her that I wonder as she is crying, she feels his presence. Does, does Jesus touch her on the way down and touch her on the way up? A, a touch that she hadn't felt in a really, really long time. Like, did, did she feel his breath on her in speaking these words? I think this was a life-changing moment for this woman because Jesus changed his posture that in that moment, Jesus becomes her protector. He defends her and he becomes her advocate. And that's what he does first. Like we see, did she do wrong? And we don't know why. We think, I think there's probably lots of things that have put her in this position and she was taken advantage of. Do we wish she would have lived a different life? Do we wish people who are in that circumstance would live different lives? Yeah. Does Jesus eventually say, look, I want your life to look differently. Go and live a different life. Yeah, he does. But that doesn't happen first. I get this picture of, gentle be, of, of Jesus being gentle with her, being kind to her, of showing what he stood for and what he believed before he ever said a word. It was in that moment, in gentleness and respect for this woman, that we then hear Jesus speak these words. Hugh Halter, who I, uh, who I shared a little bit last week, he has a book called The Tangible Kingdom. He says this, the powerful revelation is that the God of the universe, the only one, this is important, the only one who should have genuinely been offended, who could have postured himself as judge and executioner, literally lowers himself to her level and becomes her only friend, her only protector, and her only advocate. This is who Jesus is. He speaks truth to this woman, but he leads with gentleness and respect and love. It's not until he puts himself at a position, he changes his posture that he's able 
to give the message. See, I believe that our words will never be louder than our actions. They may sound louder, but they will never be louder. If we live a certain way, if we treat people harshly or unkindly, if we speak poorly about people who don't believe in the gospel, if we make fun of people who don't, I just don't think our message really matters. And we see this in the posture that Jesus takes with this woman, and we see it over and over again with the posture that Jesus takes with people. He leads with gentleness and respect and love before he gives the message. And so once again, I want to encourage you, will you continue to pray? Will you pray for the harvest? Will you pray for yourself? Will you pray for us as a church that we will have opportunities to speak about the hope that we have? Will you continue to pray that your hearts, that my hearts are changed in how we see people, that it's not an us versus them? Will you pray that as we begin to proclaim and give reason for the hope that we have, that we will always do it with gentleness and respect? that it will be in relationships and through conversations that we are able to share what we believe and that we will never attack or belittle anyone. And that we'll have opportunities to befriend, to become advocates for those who are religiously an outsider, who feels like they could never come near to God, that they've been treated unkindly or unfairly. Would we change our posture and position so that it will precede what we proclaim, so those will be able to hear it when we share it. And next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to share the hope that we have. But would you just begin to pray this week? As you think about your story, as you think about how you would give an answer, would you just begin to ask yourself, do I have a posture that says I'm for you? Is it a posture that is full of respect and gentleness? Greg, if you would come up, we'll close in our song. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, would you forgive us when we have failed um, to do this for whatever reason? Would you help us to push uh, away our fear would you help us to push away those things that make us hesitant to share that we hope, the hope that we have? Would you help us to see that, yes, it is how we live our lives that will cause other people to wonder, and we should live in that way, Lord? But would you help me to see that, that we should also be looking for chances to share what we believe? That this message matters so much that, of course, we want other people to know about it. Would you help us to see that? I pray for my friends here today who maybe feel far from God for whatever decisions they've made or the life they've lived. I, I pray that they would get the sense of hope today, that there is absolutely nothing that could separate us from you, God. Would you help them to believe that? And maybe today they would either recommit their lives to you or maybe for the first time they would believe in the hope of the gospel, the good news of grace and forgiveness. And then for many of us, would we be amazed by your grace once again? Would we understand the difference you've made in our lives? And would there be something that happens where we want other people to experience that as well? But Lord, would you remind us to always lead with gentleness and respect? Would you help us to take the posture of an advocate and not as someone who attacks? God, give us opportunities. Help us as we begin to figure out what it is that we say when people ask. Pray in Jesus' name.